um, taken place. So it's a, a significant day in the history of the church as well. As Mindy mentioned, it's Pentecost Sunday, and um, again, Pentecost translates to 50. So at this time, 50, Sunday, or 50 days have passed since the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. His disciples at this time were in, a, in Jerusalem observing the Jewish celebration of the Feast of Weeks. And this is what brought, um, this was all brought about when the Holy Spirit arrived on the scene. This is huge for us. The Holy Spirit is a member of the Godhead that many Christians know the least about. We know a lot about God the Father. We hear about Him, and we know a lot about God the Son, Jesus, who died on the cross for our sin. But we don't know, we don't talk a whole lot about the Holy Spirit, at least uh, not in a lot of churches. So this morning, we're going to get a little bit Pentecostal here. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. Who is he? As I mentioned earlier, he's a member of the Godhead, sometimes represented, sometimes when we talk about the Godhead, the Godhead is either represented as a triangle, which in architecture is the strongest shape in nature, or he'll be represented for, for you math geniuses out there as a Venn diagram. Um, both of the symbols, we can look over on that pulpit over there, we can see a, a design of both of the symbols on the tapestry that's hanging down. So this means, in effect, that the Holy Spirit, along with Jesus Christ, along with God the Father, is God. And it's important that we establish this. Um, there's a lot of religions out there that um, don't establish this. They don't recognize the Holy Spirit as being a member of the um, Trinity, we'll call it. Uh, the Trinity, by the word, is not a, a word found in Scripture. It would be more considered the Godhead. But as we look at some of the cults and some of the other religions out there, they look at the Holy Spirit as being nothing more than a force or an energy. And this couldn't be further from the truth. Some of this could be brought about by uh, theologians who are not rightly dividing the word. Um, was it a wind or a spirit of God? That's a, a question that comes in mind as we get to the point where we start translating Scripture. The, the word in the Hebrew language is ruah, Elohim. Ruah Elohim describes God's presence at the beginning of Genesis. In Hebrew, Ruah means both wind and spirit. And how do we know which meaning is being referred to here? Well, the answer is actually in, in the verb that follows. The verb merahephet occurs only one more time in the Torah, expressing the utmost care, love, and affection 
of a mother eagle that flutters, Meherafet, over her young and bears them upon her wings, mentioned in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 11. A Hebrew reading of the Bible makes it all clear. A wind cannot express emotion. It can't express tender love and care or affection. A wind blows dispassionately and indifferently, while the Spirit of God caringly and lovingly flutters over his creation. The loving, passionate hovering that we see in Deuteronomy is the one that Genesis is the only one that Genesis can refer to when it's talking about God's Spirit. In the New Testament, we kind of run across the same problem, but the word used here is pneuma, which again translates to either wind or to spirit. It's where we get the English word pneumonia, which can, um, again, when we look at the New Testament, we're told not to grieve the Holy Spirit. And again, a wind can't be grieved or elicit any kind of emotion. So that being said, there's only one proper deduction, and that's that the Holy Spirit is a person with real emotions and temperaments. In John 16, 7, Jesus told his followers that he must go so that the Comforter could come. And it's important that we look at the word Comforter here as well. In this statement, this is the most widely translated form of the original Greek word paraclete, or parakletos, which translates roughly to counselor, helper, advocate, or co-worker. And it's difficult to give a proper English translation of this word because um, there is no English equivalent. Think of the, word, uh, the prefix para, though. We see para all over the place. Para comes, means to come alongside. Think of a, like a paralegal or a paramedic or a paraprofessional. He comes alongside us. He works with us. He helps us to walk the Christian walk. So what does the Holy Spirit do exactly? Well, the Holy Spirit has a very long job description. So we're going to kind of look at some of the things the Holy Spirit does to, to help us out, to help us to walk a Christian walk. And the first thing he does upon our salvation, which he did with the apostles on Pentecost Sunday, 50 days after the Passion Ministry of Christ, is he indwells the believer. If we think back, there's a difference between the way God operated in the Old Testament and the way he operates in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, when the Spirit came, it says that he rested on the subject as sometime, uh, to give him some type of special ability, such as when we think of Samson, superhuman strength, or um, special prophetic word given to Ezekiel. And if we look at David, David actually prayed that in Psalm 51.11 that God wouldn't take the Holy Spirit from him after he had sinned with Bathsheba. So in the Old Testament days prior to Jesus, whenever uh, a 
the Holy Spirit came upon somebody, he rested upon them. He didn't indwell them as he does the believers and as he did starting with the apostles on Pentecost Sunday. So beginning with his arrival in Acts, he indwelt the believer. Jesus told his disciples that this would happen. In John 14, 7, he says that, and this is in reference to the Holy Spirit, he lives with you and will be in you. Uh, John the Apostle later wrote, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So there's two references right there. It's the Holy Spirit dwells within us. But that's not all that he does. That's just getting started. He gives the believer gifts. And whether we're speaking of one of the many spiritual gifts that we receive at salvation, um, he gives us um, fruit of the Spirit, he gives us uh, armor for our, our spiritual protection, but the Bible speaks of other gifts that he gives us. In all honesty, the Holy Spirit in himself is a gift, but he's a gift that uh, keeps on giving. He um, gives us these gifts, and these aren't to be confused with talents. When we think of talents, we think of um, singers, Stephen Tyler, Toby Keith. Um, we think of actors. We think of different people and the talents that they have. But those aren't to be mistaken with the gifts that we receive from the Holy Spirit. Um, just to uh, pick out a few of these, um, for to one is given the Spirit, the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning the Spirit's to another diverse kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. And that's 1 Corinthians 12, 27, 28. There's more listed throughout Scripture. I believe there's like 12 gifts listed in all, but Romans 12, Ephesians 4, and 1 Peter 4 uh, give uh, different lists of the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives us. So he indwells us, and he brought along gifts when he came. And another thing he does, and this is important to us today, is he restrains evil. 2 Thessalonians 2, 2-7 to says, Not to be quickly shaken in mind or excited either by spirit or by word or by letter purporting to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. So there was um, throwing a little context in there. People were writing and already getting involved in trying to put forth cults and everything else at the time. But it says, Let no one deceive you in that way, for that day will come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed the son of perdition who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God proclaiming himself to be God. Do you remember that when I was with you, I told you this? And you know 
what is, and you know what is restraining him now, so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. Saying all of that to say that, and, and quite honestly, this is a message where I could go off on a rabbit trail. This is a message by itself. But the Holy Spirit's restraining evil. He's restraining evil around us. He's holding back the Antichrist as we speak. But uh, we are getting a preview. When we see the evil that happened a couple weeks ago in Uvalde, Texas, when we see people marching for the right to be able to murder unborn babies, people taking pride in their sexual sin, and others approving of these practices, well, verse 7 did say that the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. I kind of have to, and I'm afraid to ask how much worse it's going to get, but um, how much worse is it going to get when he's gone? I believe that the um, restrainer, the Holy Spirit, is here as long as the church is here. Because he indwells in us. When the Holy Spirit leaves, that's, that's when we'll be raptured as well. And then all of the evil will be released. And this is why there's such animosity that continues to grow against Christians and against the Bible-believing church today. is because we're holding back. The Holy Spirit within us is holding back the evil that, is, that wants to come about the world. Things that we're already starting to see a preview of. But he also convicts. John 16, 8 says that when he comes, he will convince the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. So on a corporate level, we're told that he's going to convince the world of their sin. So again, why do you think the uh, world rails so much, why the secular world rails so much against Christianity and against the church? It's because it's being convicted and it doesn't like it. On a personal level, this is twofold. He convicts us individually of our sin and our need for a, a Savior, making us realize that in ourselves we can't do anything to save ourselves. We can't do anything to make up for our sin. The Holy Spirit convinces us of that. He's the one that lets us know and points us to Jesus. And we'll get back to this in a minute. After we're saved, he helps keep us straight. Think about your own life. And you don't need to answer this out loud, but what happens to you as a believer when you knowingly commit a sin? He won't let you rest at night, or he might not let you eat. Maybe not sleep. He'll make you uncomfortable until you make it right. And if you're stubborn, 
Just know that he always has his ways. But back to the point, he points us to Jesus. John 15, 26. One of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is, is that he points people to Christ and he identifies Christ for them. Um, this took place for the first time when Jesus was baptized. If you recall, it was said that the Holy Spirit would descend and remain. That one is he who was baptized with the Holy Spirit. And this happened in Luke 3, 21 and 22. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form, as a dove. And a voice came from heaven, Thou art my beloved Son, with beyond well pleased. And he still points people to Jesus today. Right now there have been multiple accounts uh, going, coming out of the Middle East of people coming to Christ after seeing Jesus in a dream or in a vision. And this isn't out of line with Scripture. Um, it happened in Acts 10, 1 to 4. We're told of a man named Cornelius, who was a devout, believe, a devout follower of God, but not yet a Christian. At around that time, Peter was also given a vision. This would help Cornelius come to know Jesus, just like the people of the Middle East are experiencing today. So where the Bible is being shut out of the Middle East, so to say, God's not being shut out of the Middle East. He's got his ways to get in. It's also spoken in, in the book of Joel that the young men will have visions and the old men will dream dreams. But he, I mean, even that's not all the Holy Spirit does. He teaches us and he helps us to understand. 1 Corinthians 2, 10 to 13 says that God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For what a person knows, a man's thoughts except the Spirit of man, which is in him. So also... No one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit is from God, that we might understand the gifts bestowed on us by God. And we impart this in the words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual gifts to those who possess the Spirit. And then John 14, 26 goes on to say that he will teach you all things and he will cause you to recall. He'll remind you and bring, bring to remembrance everything I have told you. And then John 15, 26 makes a similar statement that he will teach you all things and he will cause you to recall and will remind you to bring things to your remembrance, everything I have told you. And that's important. What it comes down to is this. In our human mind, we cannot understand what God is telling us in the Bible. The Holy Spirit helps us to understand as we read along, pointing out things that he wants us to learn from each time we sit down to read. 
And really, the truly amazing part about this is that you can have read something over and over and over and over. And I, I know that many of us in here have read the Bible multiple times throughout our life. And then it's almost as if one day the Holy Spirit will want us to see a certain verse and that'll jump out at you. And you'll, that verse will take on new meaning to you for the first time in the whole time you've been reading the Bible. And then that's really cool, but what gets even cooler than that is there's times when he'll help you to recall something that you've read in the Bible that you don't even remember that you've read. You might be sitting there talking to someone and, and they're telling you something and all of a sudden a scripture that you never had any interaction with that you remember will jump right to your mind and you can share that with the person. Or uh, even when you're going through something, a scripture may jump in your mind to help you come through whatever it is that you're going through either for your benefit or for the benefit of someone else. And you're kind of just like, wow, I didn't even know that was in there. I didn't even know that I read that. But it was there when you needed it. And that's the Holy Spirit that's bringing that to your mind. He, what else does the Holy Spirit do? He guides us. Romans 8.14 says that if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So the Holy Spirit guides us personally. And in saying this, I want to throw a, a caveat in there. His guidance will never, 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 is that enough nevers? It will never, ever conflict with what is written in God's holy word. You'll know it's him. I've got two examples of this from my, my own personal experience. And the first one I'll share was um, probably, it was probably about the first year or so that I came here as youth director. And I can tell you exactly where I was driving, but I was coming home from doing a, a, a youth meeting one Sunday after church. And um, I was right over there driving by Bomberger Park when the Holy Spirit spoke to me, I didn't have this on my mind. This just came out of nowhere. He's like, do a, VB, do a vacation Bible school this year. That was the first, um, when I was talking to Pastor Rob, when I talked to him about it, it was the first vacation Bible school that we had done at, at this church in I don't know how long. But um, I listened and went back to Pastor Rob and, and to the leadership board. And, and that year, God blessed us by allowing us to plant seeds in over 150 kids that year. And I don't say that to brag on what I did or anything. The only thing I did was listen to what the Holy Spirit was guiding me to do. And we got to plant some seeds. And on a more personal note, and in a very similar fashion, that's in a lot of ways how I ended up um, 
married to my wife. Um, I was at work. I was concentrating on my work. I was in the cooler. Actually, I was counting milk. I was taking inventory that day, and that's where my mind was. And Well, to be fair, I mean, we had interacted on, on Facebook. We'd been friends for like 10 years, but hadn't really talked to each other. But she was posting a lot of um, Bible questions, and at the time I was a seminary student, so I started answering those questions, and um, that thought came, this thought came completely random, go home and send her an email. Okay, so I did, and God blessed us. So if we listen to the guiding of the Holy Spirit, he will guide us, and you will be blessed because of it. There's even, even more that he does. He comforts us. John 16, 7 says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away, for if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you, but if I depart, I will send him to you. So after Jesus left his disciples, he knew, he knew that they would need comforting. They will have at this point gone through a traumatic experience of seeing their teacher and friend being beaten, tortured, and, and crucified. Then they would have to face a world that was hostile to the message that they were um, supposed to give out. It didn't stop with them, though. Do you ever feel like you need comforting for the things that happen to you in and around your life? I think if we, I don't think it takes too much to say that we all find ourselves in those spots. And sometimes the Holy Spirit's the only one that can offer that comfort. I know I think about this is a time where maybe we should, as Jesus said, be more as little children. But there's times when Elena will need comforting. And, and she's okay to come up to one of us and she'll say, I need a hug or play with me or hang out with me. She's four and that's perfectly normal for her. As adults, we don't do that. We either don't feel that we can do that or we think it would be maybe weird for us to go up to someone to another an adult and say I need somebody to hang out with me or I need a hug or something like that but that's where the Holy Spirit comes in um, a lot of times we'll feel his love and he'll be the one to come and hang out with us I've had uh, had it shared with me before by someone that was in a deep state of grief and mourning when one day they felt the enveloping love of the Holy Spirit. Um, just once they felt his embrace, they said they felt a lot better after, um, after feeling his embrace. So he, he comforts us. He prays for us. Romans 8, 26 and 27 tells us that, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. 
For we do not know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with sighs too deep for our words, and he who searches the hearts of men knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So think back on this one now. Have you ever received news so shocking, such bad, horrible news that you want to reach out to God, but you don't even know how to pray? You don't know what to pray. Sometimes you can't even utter the word help. This is where the Holy Spirit comes in on our behalf, translates our speechlessness, and take, takes it to God. He kind of, in all cases, he kind of cleans up our prayers, he kind of edits our, our prayers, so to say, and presents them in God in a, in a proper way. He, and sometimes he encourages us to pray for others. So back to my previous point, if God ever brings someone to mind out of nowhere, pray for them. You don't know what, you don't need to know what might be going on, but pray for them. So in, in wrapping this up, in John 14, Jesus told the disciples that they would be able to do great works that Jesus does. That's why they received when they received, that's what they received when they received the Holy Spirit. It's also the same Holy Spirit that we have living inside us today. The Holy Spirit himself, the gift from God, wants to be involved in our lives. He is God, but unfortunately, his powers can be limited too. And when his powers are limited, that's all on us. See, we're, we're warned not to quench the Holy Spirit in 1 Thessalonians 5.19. And we're also warned not to grieve the Holy Spirit in Ephesians 4.30. And that's why a lot of times we don't see him at work. That's where, that's where we limit him. That's where we, um, just like... Jesus was unable, unable to perform miracles in his hometown. The Holy Spirit sometimes is unable to uh, work and perform miracles because we in some way quench him or we grieve him. We can grieve the Holy Spirit by continuing to hold on to our sin, whatever that sin may be. And willful sin is a big one. We all sin, but as Christians, just as David did, when we do sin, and when we're made aware of that sin, we should go directly to God and repent. We're told that he's faithful and just to forgive us when we repent from our sins. But we do all kinds of, of things. So what kind of, I mean, it's any kind of sin that we would permit. Do you not know 
1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit or have any share of the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor the adulterers, nor the perversely effeminate, nor the homosexuals, nor the thieves, nor the greedy, nor the drunkards, nor the revilers, whose words are used as a weapon to abuse, insult, humiliate, intimidate, or slander, nor swindlers will inherit or have any share in the kingdom of God. Well, that's talking about unbelievers, but there's sometimes where a believer will fall into these or they'll get saved and um, they'll not move away from some of these sins. And that right there grieves the Holy Spirit. When we as believers continue along those paths, he's grieved. Or as it says in Romans 1.32, even if we don't do those sins ourselves, when we approve of or when we support the individuals and support these things that they're doing, that's grieving the Holy Spirit. But we can also quench the Holy Spirit. We quench the Holy Spirit by believing false things, by relying on things other than God. Whenever we don't acknowledge his personhood, that, or, or by suppressing or diminishing his work, that's um, quenching the Holy Spirit by not listening to his guidance. When we do, when we do all these things to quench the Holy Spirit, his still small voice that we're told about gets quieter and quieter and quieter until he's just not talking to us anymore. I mean, it's the same way with us. I mean, if we keep trying to tell someone something and and they don't listen, eventually we just stop trying to tell them. But we have all kinds of powers that are given to us. How many of you, and I imagine just about everybody, but how many of you have a smartphone in here? Okay, next question. When you first get your phone, it comes preloaded with a bunch of apps. How many of those apps do you actually use? (laughs) My point exactly. That's us when we get saved, our born again life comes preloaded with so many things that God wants to give us so many things that God wants us to be able to do but we don't take advantage of we don't use most of the gifts that God gives us we don't use most of the power and most of the authority that God gives us and then some of it we never use It's not because God didn't give it to us. It's not because the Holy Spirit didn't give it to us. It's um, we we don't use it either because we've quenched the Holy Spirit or because we've grieved the Holy Spirit. Finally, and if you're sitting here, 
I don't think you have to worry about this one, but we can also blaspheme the Holy Spirit. And we're warned strictly about this one. In Matthew 12, it says that, Therefore I say to you that every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven except the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit by attributing the miracles done by me, in this case Jesus, by attributing Jesus' miracles to Satan will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Like I said, I don't think if you're sitting here, I don't think you really have to worry about this one because if you've done this, if you've blasphemed the Holy Spirit, you want to care about church. You want to care about what God has to say. You want to care about anything that is scriptural. You want to be here. And anybody watching this or listening to this later, if if you come to a point where you're actually caring, it's, it's not too late for you. It's not too late for you until you take your last breath. So, in closing, and I promise this is my final in closing, don't grieve the Holy Spirit and don't quench the Holy Spirit and definitely... Don't blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Embrace the Holy Spirit for who He is and be open to His leading. You've got to be open to it. And with that, I'm going to close in prayer.